Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I am David Chen, and hello, Mr. Cameron. It's Damien Chazelle. I have a weird question for you. <laughs> Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. We come to this place for the magic <laughs> of drugs, drinks, and debauchery, baby. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Three hours and 10 minutes is the new 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the film cast, we're going to be reviewing Babylon, the new Damien Chazelle movie uh, that is in theaters right now. It didn't do very well, but that is not necessarily a testament of its quality. We'll be discussing mm-hmm. it here on the podcast of course before that we got some what we've been watching for you and some film news we're going to discuss you can find us online at thefilmcast.com email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com and find us on tiktok twitter and youtube at the filmcast pod except on tiktok where we are just the filmcast um so before we get to any of that though let's talk about a couple of film news items as i mentioned now um say what you will about the filmcast and many people have i mean over time I'm just going to say people have said things about the film cast like, we're annoying, quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes right now. We're annoying. Our voices they don't have are, any friends. We don't have any friends. Yeah. Our voices are grating. Our opinions are uninformed, you know? Or, all, or the film cast, what's that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, people say all those things. But you know what they can't say, guys? You know what they cannot say about the film cast? Uh, that we don't have our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the movies. That That's we don't true. have a finger on the pulse of what's happening in home video releases. Indeed. Because literally last week here on the Filmcast, I decried, nay, uh, blasted the, <laughs> <laughs> the Warner Media's decision to remove shows like Westworld and, uh, and other shows off of HBO Max. And I wondered, hey... What's going to happen with beloved TV shows that are only available on HBO Max right now, like Station Eleven, which yeah, you yeah. cannot purchase? We basically called up Warner Brothers and was like, this will not stand. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. film cast says so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Dave, I thought it was impressive that you referred to your on-blast board <laughs> that is always behind you, mm-hmm, and, you yeah. and you you put that new uh, placard that said Warner Brothers on it. Right there at the top of your on blast board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Stephen Colbert style. Um, yeah. Now, uh, here's the thing. Within, I, I want to say hours. Um, I, I don't even think I'm exaggerating when I say that, right? Within hours of the podcast release, uh, it was announced at blue-ray.com that there is going to be a Station 11 4K Blu-ray that's arriving on February 21st. And normal Blu-ray and whatnot. And normal Blu-ray, yes. Yeah. Which is impressive because they managed to download our episode, mm -hmm, listen to it, absorb it, be affected by it, be intimidated by it, put the Blu-ray into into production, (laughs) finalize all of the artwork and production design. I know. And then make the announcement press release that quickly? It's 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 impressive. It's, it's impressive. Just, it's just the fact yeah. that yeah. the showrunner of Station Eleven was like tweeting out Amazon links. It was like, hey, what's this? So we're we're going to ignore that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this is all us. Yeah, this it's hundred percent. It's hundred percent us. You know. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's you, you can interpret those events one of two ways, Indeed. right? Also, pre pre order if you care. If you're listening to us right now, <laughs> I put my thirty five dollars down. Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah, uh, you, you can interpret those events one of two ways. Um, number one, 
the film cast is incredibly culturally relevant, has its finger on the pulse of what's happening in the culture. Moves the needle. Moves, Moves the, the needle. needle. Um, another thing is that the film cast becomes instantly outdated the moment it is published. <laughs> you know, that's another way you could interpret the events there. I mean, better better to be that than never relevant, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Better better yeah. to be a has been than a have never. Than a never <laughs> was. Talk about yeah. in Babylon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely said, Devinder. But anyway, yes, thanks to everyone who wrote in about that at slashfilmcast.gmail.com and uh, messaged us about that. Uh, and here's something else I've learned, guys, is um, a lot of people still check the site blue-ray.com. I love blue-ray.com. <laughs> love it. My trusted sites and rays that are blue. It's great. Yeah, yeah. P- people... I just got a little external Blu-ray drive on my computer. Oh, nice. I love it. I love that site. Yeah, but, but people like, apparently, first of all, Blue-Ray.com is apparently still a very accurate, um, well, you know, source great for what's Twitter coming account. out. Like that, that's a great feed of like what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then secondly, like a lot of people still check it so, and, and apparently yeah. ref- refresh it uh, maniacally because <laughs> we got messages almost instantly after it went up on uh, yeah, on, sure. on Blue-Ray.com. So. Are, is Blue-Ray the preferred nomenclature still for the the format, or has, have they? Drop the dash in common parlance. Yeah, I think if that's I a say Dave Chen special. Well, here's the question: you know. If I say Blu-ray.com, what are you going to type? Like you're listening to this, you're not seeing any type of typography, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you're a listener, and I say Blu-ray.com. You are you going to type in no. Blu-ray.com? I, I, I would say uh, the URL is Blu-ray.com, mm, but I would call okay. it Blu-ray.com okay. as a human would. Well, my, <laughs> human being. well my, my question is a little different than Dave's robotic delivery. It is uh-huh, uh-huh. It, My question really pertains to, like, because I believe when it was introduced as a format, it was Blu-ray. Right? That was no, how it no, was. Never, okay. That was never the case. It was never, no, it was, it was all just one word Blu-ray? Somebody was punking you, Jeff, back yeah. then. <laughs> I'm just misremembering what yes. it is. Yeah. So the Blue-Ray people just got to the URL late, is what we're saying. Mm-hmm, they got, mm-hmm. they bought, they did the best they could with the things that they had. I feel like that was a pretty, I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but uh, it seems to have worked out well for them, though. Like, they're this still like sticking the around. 15 Club all over again, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, uh, okay, you're, you're right. Th- if Go you ahead, type Jeff. in blue dash, B-L-U dash into Google, Blu-ray movies, Blu-ray player, Blu-ray release dates, Blu-ray, de- and it's all with the dash. But if you tap B-L-U-R-A-Y, mm-hmm. it, it suggests a space between them. Interesting. I, I, in I, I don't. I, I literally don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> Put it I'm, typing Google. In, I'm typing in B-L-U dash, and I'm seeing nothing of what you're talking about right now. Into into the really into Google. I'm seeing blueproducts.com. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing blu.com. I'm what? seeing I, I have no idea what you're talking about, literally. I want to send you a screenshot. It says right, blue yeah. dash ray, blue dash ray we'll, movies, we'll blue dash ray history. player, By the blue way, dash ray regions, <laughs> blue dash ray release dates. Also in physical disc news, I think is relevant to many people. I just discovered uh, this company called Ronin Flicks that mm. re-releases some movies on Blu-ray. There is a Fist of Legend. There's a new Blu-ray of Fist of Legend out there. Anti Chi Master. Mm. Put them together for thirty bucks. Amazing, that is a good deal. Amazing. Yeah. All right, Ronin Flicks F L I X dot com. But anyway, no dash. Thanks. No dash. Yeah, no dash. But thanks for calling me out, Devendra. Uh, I will tell you. Yes, you should uh, check out Blu-ray dot com. URL Blue Dash Ray dot com. Yes. How about that? That is that that's good. I'll just say that whole thing anytime I'm talking about Blu-ray.com, URL blue-ray.com. Uh okay. Well that's I one. I think we convinced everybody that we are essential though with that entire discussion. Oh, I mean <laughs> 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 definitely anyone who listened to that thought to themselves, this is worth my time. 
These people this, this podcast, know what they're talking about. This podcast is worth my time. Well, speaking of knowing what you're talking about, uh, I think it's entirely possible that the Anna de Armas fandom may bring down our entire uh, movie industrial marketing complex. Yeah. Fandom is really ruining a lot Man. of things for us these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really is. So this last week, it was revealed uh, that there was a court case. A federal judge ruled in favor of the plaintiffs suing the movie studio behind the Danny Boyle film Yesterday, a 2019 film about a world without the Beatles. Two Anna de Armas fans filed a lawsuit this last January, uh, and I'm going to read here from Variety, alleging that they had rented the movie after seeing de Armas in the trailer, only to discover that she was cut out of the final film. Uh, Universal. Did, did, just real quick question: Do they call themselves the Anna de Army? They should. Universal sought to throw out the lawsuit, arguing that movie trailers are entitled to broad protection under the First Amendment. The studio's lawyers argued that a trailer is an artistic, expressive work that tells a three-minute story conveying the theme of the movie and should thus be considered non-commercial speech. But the federal judge, U.S. District Judge Stephen Wilson, rejected that argument, yeah, finding yeah. that a trailer is commercial speech and is subject to the California false adverting law and mm. the state's unfair competition law. Uh, he wrote, Universal is correct that trailers involve some creativity and editorial discretion, but this creativity does not outweigh the commercial nature of a trailer. At its core, a trailer is an advertisement designed to sell a movie by providing consumers with a preview of the movie, end quote. Now, this is uh, devastating. This is awful. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is a catastrophe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why, why, why do you feel that way, Jeff? Why, as, a, as an unsullied person who does not watch yeah, trailers, why do you actually, feel that way? Actually, I, I kind of blame the whole unsullied movement for all of this. But no. uh, tell us, Jeff. How could you? We have stayed out of it. We are we're Switzerland. <laughs> no, because you you have pretended the trailers are pointless. You've pretended you, no. you have not bestowed the value upon them because uh because of your fears of what's in the trailers. So you're yeah, saying you know, that I, I think I think Devendra is saying that Jeff, you treat the trailer as purely a commercial work telling you what the movie is about, yes. as opposed to its own artistic expression, which would therefore be protected under the First Amendment. Right, like you're like, oh well, that trailer. The purpose of that trailer is just to tell me what's going on in the movie. And if you didn't feel that way, then maybe these two Anna Armas fans that rented <laughs> yesterday on Redbox might not have sued. Okay, <laughs> you started a whole movement, Jeff. There is no. a following. <laughs> My of position out there. I wish they were artistic expressions and not a, a, a commercial representation. Have you seen the Barbie teaser? Of course not. Talk about an artistic expression. <laughs> My rest, my case, Barbie. Yeah, yeah, nicely done, Jeff. Also, uh, you haven't good. seen it, Jeff, but it is a truly great artistic yes, expression. Yes. It's great. I, I haven't seen well, the trailer either, but apparently, I hope they great. get are prepared to be sued because if you make a trailer that has stuff that's not in the final movie, yeah, sorry, yeah. you're going Our, to court. There is no fifty foot tall. Uh, what's her face, Margot Robbie, in this movie? I'm gonna sue. <laughs> All I want is an artistic expression. What happens expression. in the teaser? Give me a, give me an artistic expression. Give me something that's not in the movie. Don't tell me exactly what's in the movie. The judge says no. You must only show things that are in the final product. Mm -hmm. Now, I, Horseshit. I will say that Universal's lawyers apparently put up a good fight. They cited the Jurassic Park f trailer, 
which was comprised entirely of footage that is not in the movie. Yes, yes. Did they uh, know the entire industry was kind of like uh, basically waiting on them to figure out this case? Because like it, this could be devastating for trailers? Or what does it mean? Disclaimers or something down the line? Right, maybe disclaimers. Disclaimers. No, no, yeah. no. No, no, the thing is like... Not okay. in-game footage. For, first not of all, exactly. footage. Does not represent final <laughs> right, product. Right, exactly. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, which is what happens in the video game trailers, right? Like it's like, yes. you know, it's like mm-hmm. this is not in-game footage results may vary results may vary exactly right so maybe we're going to see some more um so basically (laughs) though i kind of agree with jeff that there's really no scenario under which trailers are going to get better after this you know like right they're going to get they're going to have they're going to be larded up with these disclaimers or something terrible is going to happen now i will say you know what would be nice just throw the disclaimer into the uh the green or red band at the beginning before the trailer just put that it's as a probably standard gonna happen. it's probably going to be in there so. yeah put mm-hmm. that in the standard like the following trailer is for coming track whatever it is you know yeah final film yeah, may yeah, vary. Yeah, yeah yeah the final film may vary yeah that, that's good that's good uh so c- a couple things first of all like this does not mean that uh the the people who are suing universal have succeeded right uh the, the court the case is going to proceed to discovery uh next and so it's there's going to be um more legal proceedings associated with this case. It just means it just, the, the federal judge ruled that basically the case can now proceed. So it is possible yeah. for people to sue over this trailer. My understanding now, now is that uh, they will be required to re-release that terrible movie with Anna de Armas now in it. <laughs> Apparently the de Armas plaintiffs are seeking $5 million of damages <laughs> on behalf of them and all the other people who watched yesterday, sure. the Danny Boyle. I suppose films, I didn't want that after watching yesterday. So. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I can't wait to get my check in the mail. <laughs> uh, I, here's the thing that's wild. I don't even remember seeing Anna de Armas uh, in the trailer for yesterday, but apparently she was in the trailer and then her storyline was cut from the final film, right? Uh, so anyway, uh, the, the other thing I want to point I, out I, is that- If I was them, I would have ar- in court, I would have argued that like that's consistent with the themes of the movie that the Beatles didn't <laughs> exist, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, in, mm-hmm. in, in this universe, Anna de Armas does not exist. And they're, mm. they're trying to pull a meta point. The movie yes. is trying to make a meta point through its marketing. Indeed. That something that you thought was there is now gone, right? Perhaps. Uh, the other thing is I feel like this um, this judge is trying to Bush v. Gore uh, the <laughs> ruling, right? Because I think you read this trailer, you, I'm sorry, you read this ruling and you're like, oh, well, this means mm-hmm. there can be no artistic license in any trailers from now on. And the judge wrote the following, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. He says, quote, the court's holding is limited to representations as to whether an actress or scene is in the movie and nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) So he's trying to like limit it to the, you know, in Bush v. Gore, for those who don't know, it's like this court's ruling is limited to this specific case and nothing else. Right. No further precedent. Don't worry. Do not reference (laughs) this ever again. We will never speak its name. This is the Armin Tamzarian of, uh, you know, legal trailer movie court cases or what have you. Uh, and this only we'll never... pertains to Anna de Armas <laughs> and no other actresses. Exactly, exactly. But yes, uh, a, a troubling precedent, Jeff Kanata. I would agree. And um, if if these Armas fans succeed, which I, I you know I think they must be stopped, uh, if possible, using all reasonable and legal methods. Um, but if they do succeed, it seems likely that trailers will get worse. That they'll get more specific, and that they will be less artful yes. as time goes on. And that Anna de Armas will be in every trailer going forward. I, I, um, 
I think we can agree, though, that the most egregious violation here mm -hmm. is that they went to the California state court system mm -hmm. when there's a perfectly good, well-established court that has been formed specifically for mm -hmm. adjudicating film-related issues. Yeah, I think you're referring to the Slash Film Court. Uh, Why was this not a case before the Slash Film Court? It is our... It is our jurisdiction. <laughs> it is our beat. Mm -hmm. We what? have the, the, the legal and moral authority unchallenged heretofore. <laughs> I think the reason is that the Venn diagram between litigious Anna de Armas fans and the film cast listeners is two circles. <laughs> No, no uh, It's two one cir circle. Two one circles one with circle. a huge space between them. That's what the Venn diagram looks like. One hopes. If, hey, if I you only are want litigious... Anna fans listening to this show. Come on. <laughs> if you are a lit litigious Anna Darmus fan and you are currently listening, please write in. <laughs> I'm going to go out there and say, please stop listening because I don't, <laughs> don't want to get sued. And Anna Darmus, no. if you're listening, Please stop this from going forward. <laughs> yes. Tell us your thoughts about that uh, Keanu Reeves movie with Anna de Armas that everybody forgot about, but mm. that movie was wild. Yeah, Anna de Armas, call back the legal, uh, yeah. you know, soldiers. Only, only Anna de Armas can stop only this. Only Anna de Armas can stop this from happening. Please. And she Please. will take the stand and be like, I love trailers. Do not ruin my trailers. Thank you. This is, like, gonna... a, this is like a Trump on January 6th moment right now <laughs> for Anna de Armas. You know what I'm saying? She's going to call Nicole Kidman to the stand, who's going to testify, we come to this place for magic. Mm. And that magic right. sometimes comes in the form of movie trailers. Yeah. Yeah. Which is magic. what I say after the movie trailers. Yeah. yeah. Magic is unexplained. It's mysterious. It sometimes doesn't make any sense. It sometimes yeah. isn't in the final product. Mm -hmm. Come on. Yeah. But great comparisons January 6th, Jeff. That is like not at all a disproportional comparison. <laughs> I think it's exactly the same. Right? It's the same, one... similar in terms of importance to our republic. Yeah. We can all only just implore Anna Darmus to do the right thing. And Imagine we can hope if that she, she was doesn't really just behind stand there. this whole group. Like if she was secretly messaging them and everything, that would be. If oh, Anna yeah. Darmus. Imagine just, she, if she yeah. was the Zack Snyder of this. Yeah. This is yeah. the Snyder cut situation of the Anna Darmus fandom, perhaps. Yeah. I think she's just been standing in front of her television for eight hours watching this all unfold, doing mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Horrifying. Horrifying. All right. Well, before we move on, a couple of announcements before we get to what we've been watching. Uh, the first thing is I want to mention that, hey, as usual, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash film podcast. This week on the After Dark, we are going to be discussing Darren Aronofsky's new movie, The Whale. Uh, and I also want to mention that next week is going to be a very special episode. It's going to be our top 10 movies of 2022. Wow. Uh, but that the episode will likely be coming out a little bit later. Uh, than usual. Usually episodes drop on Tuesday mornings. This episode will probably drop Wednesday night, Thursday morning, probably Thursday morning. So it'll probably come out a couple days later. Um, due to scheduling reasons, give us a couple more days to watch some movies for you. Uh, but we just wanted watched, to live. We got to watch 10 movies. If you're going to do a top 10, you got to watch at least 10 movies. So. At least 10 movies for, yeah. the, for 2022, which we are like well behind on at the current <laughs> rate. So, uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, uh, The Whale is going to be the After Dark at patreon.com slash film podcast. Next week's episode. We'll be a couple days late. Spread the word. 
uh, and we are sorry about the inconvenience, but it'll be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be a big yeah. one. It's going to be a big one. So uh, look forward to that. B- big surprises in my list. Guys. <laughs> you would okay. not believe. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more on the Filmcast. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. All right, folks, let's get to what we've been watching. Jefferson Kanata. Me? What have you been watching this week? Well, it, you know, it's it's the holiday season. Um, so uh, I had, I've had uh, family in town. I've been seeing family. It's been not an easy time to, to see the movies that I really want to watch. Uh, it's been a lot of watching. Um, you know, we, we rewatched The Home Alone. Uh, you gotta you gotta watch uh, National Lampoon's Family Vacation. Uh, a lot of that, but I did manage to squeeze in a holiday film that is a new release that I was very curious about, and that is the new film entitled Violent Night, which is of course a play on Silent Night. I heard this was a lot of fun, and it was mm-hmm. it was in contention for a main review on the filmcast. Didn't end up yeah, making it, but no. it is now on video on demand. Yeah, based couple- on that one skit from I think you should leave, right? Basically. I think that's kind of true. It, this it, it seems to me that this movie came into being because somebody was arguing about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Oh, and and then they went, you know what? I'm gonna make a the movie that Christmas is Die Hard yeah. that you can't deny it's a Christmas movie. I'm gonna do <laughs> Die Hard, where the main character is Santa Claus, uh, or as I like to call this movie. John St. Wick. <laughs> wow. Wow. John St. Wick. No? Come on. That's good. That's pretty good. That's pretty I don't good. Think I only I've wish the, uh, the actor... Oh, I get it. St. Nick. I get it. Okay. I got it. It totally just came it. together for me. It just snapped into place for me, Jeff. Nicely done. Tell me, Jeff, the, uh, the one thing I want to know, does Biff Whiff, the actor from I Think You Should Leave, appear in this movie? No. He plays Santa. Not. Sadly not. Okay. Uh, I wish. Uh, Biff Whiff. Biff Whiff. Biff Whiff on my yeah. screen. Um. So this movie, the premise of this movie is literally that is literally die hard with Santa Claus. It's literally like there's a Santa Claus is real and, and, uh, David Hader plays him and he, David Harbor, Harbor, excuse me, Hader. That would be, that would be fun. That would be cool. Metal Gear Solid played him. No, David Harbor, pardon me. David Harbor plays him. And uh, he uh, he's real, and he gets himself in a situation, uh, finds himself in a situation where uh, there's a bunch of terrorists trying to steal money, uh, and he has to stop them. It is Die Hard with Santa Claus, like straight up. And that's ridiculous, right? That's a ridiculous premise. And so what you, I think what you are going into this movie for is like the joy and fun of the ridiculous premise. The like how over the top it's going to be, 
like watching Santa Claus murder a bunch of terrorists, how crazy the gags are, like how it can, how, how far it can go with that premise. And it eventually gets there, but <laughs> this movie's two hours long and it very much did not need to be. It, uh, it takes an hour of, of movie to get to any of that fun. Um, because it's like the, the setup in John Wick one, you, you need that setup for Santa's revenge, right? Uh, mm-hmm. no? The no? problem with this movie is that it like, it knows what it is. Eventually it's this like ridiculous over the top, goofy Santa murdering everybody, uh, movie, but it also wants to be a sweet, wholesome, like Christmas movie, which I kind of feel like who wants who who is that for? It, it's trying to be like a kids movie, but it's also hard R, tons of f bombs, crazy over the top violence. Like I don't I don't understand why it feels the need to also be this wholesome, mm-hmm. adorable. Like there's a kid at the center. I mean, the movie is just straight up ripping off other other christmas movie it, it straight up rips off home alone and it and it name checks it like uh, the, uh, the there's a little kid character who straight up name checks home alone and then does all the stuff from home alone while saying oh i learned this by watching home alone and it's like okay but like we i we it's redundant i don't understand i mean i guess it's home alone but extra violent which is like you know but Home Alone is violent. That's just straw dogs. So, yeah. It's very, uh, very weird to me that, you know, it eventually gets to this place where it is having fun and I was having fun. And it finally, like, gets to the point where it's just doing crazy stuff. And the last gag, the final gag uh, is is genuinely cool. But, like, there's just not enough cool in it I think to justify its running time, it is way too long for what it is. It is not as fun as it should be. And it, it like balances these, the, I think the like wholesome family movie that it is, that is also trying to be is unnecessary, but it's not, it, John Leguizamo is in it as the main bad guy. And he's like chewing scenery, doing fun stuff. You know who else is in this movie? Beverly D'Angelo. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's it also is like giving you a nod and wink of like, hey, other Christmas movies. I mean, it's a name checks uh, Home Alone. Clearly, I mean, Beverly D'Angelo's there. It's like, hey, Christmas Vacation, everybody. Remember Christmas Vacation? It, I, I don't know. The other thing that's weird to me about this movie is that from the literally the first scene, we know this is the real Santa Claus. This is magical, jolly old Saint Nick who's been alive for thousands of years, Santa Claus, right? This, I, I, I truly believe this movie would have been so much better if we did not know whether this was just a guy who dresses up as Santa Claus or the real Santa Claus until the end, right? If it had played with that, because... Because for the whole movie, David Harbour is getting the crap kicked out of him. He's like, he's, he's, he's John McClane. 
he's, you know, John McClane in Die Hard is in way over his head, is often, you know, getting by, getting through it by the skin of his teeth, is, you know. Yeah, always vulnerable. Yeah, vulnerable, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so is Santa Claus in this movie. But, and so it's not like he's like super magic powered Santa Claus doing magic stuff through the whole movie. But we know he's magical Santa Claus through the whole movie. Um, and, and if he'd just been like this, this guy and the, and the little guy. And so, so much of this movie is, is about like who's going to believe in Santa Claus and who doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And there's a little girl who does believe in him. And it's like if they had played it to where she's the only one that thinks he's real and the audience doesn't know if he's real or just a guy. And then at the end, it turns out he is real. It would have been so much cooler because they don't get anything by him being the by the audience knowing that he's the real Santa Claus through the whole movie. Anyway, I just thought it was like it's such a fun premise and mm -hmm. it's 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 such a like wacky over the top premise and they're doing it straight and for the most part I mean the movie knows it's ridiculous and the all the side characters are caricatures and cartoons and goofy and and that's fun like it's a there's this like despicable rich family that is despicable and whatever but so the movie knows it's what we're there for. We're there for this fun thing. And I think it just squanders so much of its promise of the premise by not having even more fun with it or not getting to the fun faster and like maximizing what's fun about it. It just kind mm -hmm. of does what it does. And there's a few fun moments. And it, ultimately I was pretty disappointed with violent night. That's too bad, Jeff. I've heard this is a lot of fun, and I'm still planning to check it out. Um, but it sounds like you didn't have as good of a time with it. Uh, but yeah, the movie's Violet Night, and it's available right now on video on demand. You can rent it or buy it, I think. Um, so yeah, well, twenty bucks to rent on uh, early yeah. access. Twenty five bucks to buy. Yeah, and Jeff but, is know, like saved never. the five bucks, Dave. Never saved it. <laughs> Again, it's Violet Night. Okay, I want to talk about a few things I've been watching. Um, so. As I mentioned, we are going to be recording our top 10 movies of 2022 episode next week. Uh, and we are going to be releasing that a couple days later than usual. And I have been watching a ton of movies <laughs> to try to figure out what is going to be my final top 10. Uh, I've been. It's always a mad rush. It's always a mad rush. Like, right. what, what am I missing? What do the other top tens look like? Ah, it's crazy. We we are very you know, uh, Devendra this year and and I are are very blessed to um, get a lot of critics uh, screener discs yeah, and links. First time for me. Yeah, yeah, first time for Devendra. Um, but yeah, it's they will literally the studios will send you like, uh, I'm gonna just say anywhere between fifty and a hundred movies. In the time period between November yeah. and like beginning of November and end of December, right? So it's like a, it's like a lot of movies, right? And um, you got to decide like, okay, what here is even like? Because you know most people don't watch all of them. You can watch, right, you have right. a chance of watching most of them, and you kind of got to decide like, okay, which one of these are most likely to make it in my top ten? So I have watched a bunch of movies that uh, have been listed in other top ten lists in order to consider whether or not they'll be in my top ten list. I watched Jafar Panahi's new film, No Bears, uh, which I think was in multiple people's top 10 lists yeah, on the I New York Times that. That's on and, and Vulture.com. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a very interesting movie, but it's not going to be in my top 10. Um, it's just, it, it's, it, I didn't quite gel with the story in, the way, in a way that I wanted to, in a way that other people you know, seem to resonate with it. Uh, but it's certainly very interesting and worth considering. So it's not, I don't think it's bad or anything. 
Um, but that's No Bears by Jafar Panahi. I also watched The Eternal Daughter, which is Joanna Hogg's new movie. She watched. Uh, she was the director of uh, The Souvenir and The Souvenir Part Two. Didn't really love uh, Eternal Daughter either, although it's always great to see Tilda Swinton in anything. And she's obviously... It's a continuation of those things, right? Very, very much so, yes. And yeah. she's a very fascinating actor. And um, so it's worth checking out just because you get to see Tilda Swinton acting. And uh, but it's not that movie is also not going to make my top 10. Um, and then uh, I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, which is streaming right now on Netflix. And this movie very well may make my top 10. In fact, it has a really, really good chance uh, at making my top 10. This is the most brutal and effective war film I have seen since Saving Private Ryan, I mm. think. Um, I only made it through a half an hour of that movie back when it came out. Oh, really? Yeah, you, you attempted it because I thought of you, Justin, yeah. about it because we talked about 1917. 1917 was a movie. My number uh, one that year. Yeah, yeah it was no, your number one. I love that movie. I yeah, love that me movie. Too. You know, I, I think, and I still love it to this day. Um, but it was widely critiqued for uh, being very video gamey in its construction, you know, because it's like, it, it's almost like you're on rails. Like the the fact that it's a long continuous shot makes it feel like you're on rails in a video game and just going through a bunch of mini side quests or mini missions. I um, didn't feel that way, but I've heard sure, that. sure, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I I do think that certainly after seeing this movie, <laughs> I do think that one fair critique of 1917 is that it doesn't really do a great job of showing the brutality of war. Um, both 1917 and All Quiet on Western Front, the new uh, 2022 version, take place uh, during World War One. And the movie is based off of the novel by Eric Remark, I believe, who's a German veteran of World War I. And it tells uh, the story of uh, a group of young German men who decide to enlist uh, in, uh, as part of the German infantry and then go to war. Uh, now, Jeff, I-, I have a couple more thoughts on it, but I'm curious, like, what made you piece out of this movie 30 minutes in? It was really um, dark and depressing, and and I, you know, I I fully intended to return to it. Honestly, it was just like I, whatever it was that day. I, I started watching it during the day, uh, in in my movie theater uh, in my house. Um, so it was like you know, it's all dark and a great sound and great picture, and it is uh, extremely beautifully shot. The cinematography yes, it's is so beautiful, stunning, it's so beautiful. stunning. Uh, and I fully intend to go back to it, but uh, I don't even remember what date. This came out months ago on Netflix, yeah. um, and I was going to watch it as a what what I've been watching. You know, oftentimes during the week for the show, I'll prioritize a movie for what we've been watching. Um, and that came out that week. I'd heard good things. I put it on. I was like, oh man, it's like eleven o'clock on a weekday. I'm going to watch this uh, this amazing movie in the movie theater, and. Um, I was like, I if I watch if I watch all of this, I'm gonna be useless for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it was very harrowing and brutal, and it, it, I mean, it really. I I think it's a two and a half hour long yeah. long movie. Yeah. Um. And uh, so I I watched only a small percentage of it, but it it seemed to me already about the machinery of war and um the sort of uh, um relentless progression of. Uh, all the facets that go into the uh you know military industrial complex and i just it, it was just um you know there's a lot of really brutal imagery and violent imagery and i i was like i just i can't do this today i can't do this today yeah. 
I mean, I, I will tell you, I, I will tell you, I had to psych myself up for it. You know, yeah. I, I didn't even know what was in it. I had no idea what was in it, but you can tell just from like the Netflix thumbnail. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is going to be rough. And then I watched the opening sequence. The opening 10 minutes is like really masterfully done. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long two and a half hours. But, <laughs> yeah. That's, but that's what I it, felt too. And I was like, I don't think I can do it. It's an incredible experience, um, in my opinion. And I would say, yeah, like the value of a movie like this, in my opinion, is showing the brutality of war. And um, many of us, uh, our, our exposure to war largely is through cable news and the movies, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think those things help to shape what people's conception is of war um, and have the potential to influence people who like uh, decide whether or not we go to war. And I think movies like this are important just because it shows that like how brutal and dehumanizing war can be. Uh, obviously, it tells the story from the perspective of the Germans who um, are not necessarily who we conventionally consider to be good guys in terms of uh, geopolitical history. But uh, it, it gives you an on-the-ground view for the most part uh, from the soldiers' perspective. And it's like the soldiers don't decide like what, whether or not they are at war, you know, they go because they've been sold a pack of lies. They go because they want to prove themselves. They go because whatever reason. Uh, and it, even though it obviously does have very distinctive elements that make it told from a German perspective, it's also universal in the sense that um, war is hell and it's senseless and brutal and again, dehumanizing. And I think people should watch this movie because, uh, we are, as a species, still in the midst of war to this day. Uh, and I think this is one of those movies where, you know, I, I don't, I, I want to say there was um, a famous director or author or whatever that was like, there's no such thing as an anti-war war movie mm -hmm. that like, like because war is so inherently thrilling um, that like to make a war movie, like you're, you're inherently like you are providing some kind of adrenaline and, and some positive aspects to it. This is the closest I feel you can get to an anti-war war movie. You know, like it does not glorify any of what is going on here, in my opinion. And yes, the film is extremely beautiful, but I would say beyond beautiful, I'd say it feels very purposeful. Like all the shots are really meticulously composed and they make it feel like, okay, there's a reason why you're seeing things in this way. Um, and even though it is, it does happen to be beautiful beyond that it's purposeful. So I think this is a masterpiece, um, and deserves a spot in my top 10 and I'm trying to figure out where it will go, but the movie is all quiet on the Western front. It's streaming right now on Netflix. It's the 2022 version, um, that is directed by, uh, Edward Berger and you should check it out. You do need to psych yourself up. You need to need, you do need to kind of be in the right zone for mm -hmm. it. But, uh, but I think it's well worth your time. So that's all quite on the Western front, two and a half hours long. Um, really well done in my opinion. Let's take a quick break. Talk about a sponsor. We'll be back with more of what we've been watching. So I want to talk about Harry and Megan, a docuseries that's streaming right now on Netflix. Now, I think the SAT analogy is, uh, wrestling is to, me, Dave Chen, as the Royals are to Jeff Kanata. 
which is to say <laughs> we generally don't really <laughs> care that much about it. And, uninteresting. And, and yeah. find it uninteresting and a waste of time. Now, yeah. um, so I thought what I would try to do in this segment, Jeff, is con- is attempt and probably fail to convince you why this is worth even sparing a ri- like a, a, a stray thought about. Okay? Mm. I mean, first of all, what's fascinating to consider is uh, Harry and Meghan are, are obviously like uh, related to or in the royal line of succession or they were in the royal line of succession at one point. And it's wild to think that like, you know, not too long ago, these people basically ruled the world. You know what I mean? Like for real, like hundreds of years ago, like there, there's a reason why uh, the British Empire was so vast and expansive and feared. Um, but now they're, uh, the monarchy is mostly... Um, uh, window dressing. It's mostly ceremonial, right? Um, sure. But just as it has a, a ton of money, to to be clear. But it, yeah, it consumes and, according to them, makes a ton of yes. money for uh, for the country. But uh, I, I think just like it, just because it's like you know, imagine if like the president of the United States one day was like completely irrelevant in world affairs and like the affairs of the country in terms of like you know the direction of. Of politics, you know, it's worth just like it would be still be worth like documenting just like a, on an inherent like historical basis to like, hey, this thing that used to be a huge deal now, like we are documenting its decline into irrelevance. Like it's worth it just as a historical document. OK, uh, like and when I say it, I mean, kind of considering what's going on with the royals right now. But in terms of Harry and Meghan, I think what's interesting. So this is a six part docuseries that's currently on Netflix right now. And I think what's interesting about it is, first of all, if you follow the Harry and Meghan storyline, there's very little new here for you. But what is unique about this documentary is it provides it all the events that you you know about from their perspective. Um, They have never really spoken at length other than that Oprah interview about what's going on with them from their perspective. And many questions are answered during the course of the Harry and Meghan documentary. Like, how did they end up staying at Tyler Perry's house for a significant period of time? Um, <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's like, you know, uh, shortly around the time of COVID, it's like Harry and Meghan ended up staying at the guy who directed, you know, Medea's family reunion. It's the only it's like, house that had the size and grandeur that they're accustomed to. It's true. <laughs> to be clear, Tyler Perry is a powerhouse. So, yeah, he just built his own studio down here. Yeah, uh, no, no, yeah. for sure. No, 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 uh, no um, shade. The, like, Tyler the Perry. American equivalent to a palace, basically, yeah. would be Tyler Perry's house. Yeah. No shade to Tyler Perry, but what's interesting is like they had never met before, and they had ah. basically they had taken refuge at Tyler Perry's. And you know, the the documentary explains like what the circumstances behind that were, and it's really fascinating. And there's so many parallels to Diana, which is like a very tragic, uh, obviously a very tragic death mm-hmm. that occurred. Um, but what's also kind of interesting, I would say, is that um, there is a huge, there's like this undercurrent of misogyny in the British tabloid press that we in America kind of experience in other ways as well. Uh, I'll I'll throw one example out there. Gamergate, you know, is a way that like, um, we have seen the forces of media harnessed in a way to attack women and that has already happened with this documentary uh and and Meghan markle has come under a number of attacks uh just because 
for for just being a normal human being, in my yeah. opinion. Well, specifically uh, massage noir, because it's like being a black woman who's kind of like speaking up for herself, you know, against a very, very powerful family. Like the crazies have come out. And uh, th- yeah. that's kind of one thing keeping me out of this is like, I, I, I know the basics. I did watch the Oprah interview. I'm like, man. That family messed up, and I hope uh, I hope these two can be fine. And that's kind of where I am with it. Is there more of a reason to watch it beyond that? Well, I was just going to provide an example. Jeremy Clarkson, mm-hmm. the host of Top Gear. Garbage man. Yeah, Garbage I mean, human. he wrote in yeah. an article that he hated Meghan Markle, quote, on a cellular level. At night, I'm unable to sleep as I lie there, grinding my teeth and dreaming of the day when she is made to parade naked through the streets of every town in Britain while the crowds chant shame and throw lumps of excrement at her, end quote. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he, that is an extremely... A uh, scene th- th- from Game of Thrones uh, for the evil queen. For the evil right? queen, right? For for the queen that's like murdered countless people. Mm-hmm. Meghan Markle like has done. She she's obviously made some mistakes, and I'm not saying you you need to agree with all her decisions, but that is a extremely disproportionate response to anything it's, it's that insane. Meghan Markle has yeah. done, right? And I do like I, the I, idea though of somebody's mere existence just making <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson like sp- like fume at night because. That guy, I, I I grew up watching a lot of Top Gear, and like I have seen over time, like um, and he is just like kind of a kind of a bigot and a hugely popular bigot that has always been like always been platformed and has never really faced super extreme criticism. So yeah, sure, not surprised. And, and Clark Clarkson is singularly terrible, but like there is a lot of sentiment out there that is like not that bad, but like along those lines, along against, those lines, yeah, for, against Meghan Markle for like just living her, trying to do the right thing, you know, like and and the documentary presents. Uh, you know her actions from her point of view, but there's not like there. I think it would be, it is inconceivable to me that anyone would have that kind of hate in their heart for anyone that has not murdered anyone. You know that has not like perpetuated like horrifying. You know like there's just like mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's fascinating to see how the press activates this misogyny, misogynoir, as you yeah, said. People are there right? is uh, Politico. Just ran a feature about the year of narcissists, and they're getting a lot of flack right now because up, up <laughs> alongside Elon Musk and uh, and Trump and everyone is is Meghan Markle, <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. And now that that's ridiculous, but that is framing of the press, yeah. which yeah, is right, exactly. Awful. So I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying you need to like her. I'm not saying you need to agree with all the decisions, but like the the, the hate Ugh. is is fascinating to witness, and I think we shouldn't. Look away. Just let her go back to suits. That's all anybody wants. Is suits still on the air? I don't know. I think think we should. We should look away from. Go ahead, Jeff. I I certainly don't defend anything you guys are saying. I like I said. I'd much better, much, much rather be watching wrestling personally. But um, uh, because the backstabbing is more interesting. But um, uh, well, this is real, Jeff. Yeah, (laughs) it's real. I I do think um, you know, just from the sidelines, uh. I I wonder how how hard it is for us to understand what it's like growing up with that institution in the world, well, especially when like the, this the press basically like led to the death of his mother too. So yeah, yeah. And, and so mean, many things awful. so many things have been repeated. Like so many yeah. elements of their story is similar to Princess Diana's story. It's heartbreaking. Oh, anyway, go ahead, Jeff. What, what was your point? No, here? just uh, as an average person growing up in you know uh, in a tradition that is uh, so steeped in history and so embedded in your culture, mm-hmm. and then to have people at the center of it sort of dismantling it is probably very, uh, you know, very shocking and very, I think it's, 
all nonsense and and mm -hmm. you know it's ridiculous to care about any of it personally but uh it is interesting to see how people seem to need to have royalty it's weird that they seem so right. attached to it you know well first of all i think that one thing the documentary does is challenge the narrative that they quote unquote dismantled it like that's that's kind of part of the point of the documentary is like mm -hmm. you and like other people who don't really follow the story are like oh it, it was a Megxit, like Megs, Meghan Markle, like, you know, destroyed this that thing. That is something and took I say away. all the time, that it was a Megxit. <laughs> I know. That you said it to me right before we started recording, and I was like, Jeff, stop using that phrase. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that that is the popular narrative, is that, like, she was responsible for um, for what happened, and I think the documentary really challenges that notion. Uh, and also, you know, um, uh, indicates that the reason that that, notion has been spread is due to misogyny you know um but uh yeah i mean all that said i think you're right about like it's such a weird thing they, in in a way they're kind of like the last like pure celebrities in the sense that like they're they are celebrities because of their literal bloodline you yeah, know what I'm right. Like, yeah, they're the yeah. last kind of like pure celebrity. Yeah. Like that's why they're famous is because they're of famous who, because yeah, they have historically to. been famous. And exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like, it, it it has morphed into this thing where like there is this mm -hmm. devil's bargain with the press where like, hey, you get to be a ceremonial figurehead and have like lots of money and be famous, and also as a result, the British press um ha has full access to every detail about your life. Um, and, you know, and it's like, it's not a good trade for anyone in my, it's not a good trade for society, right? not a good trade for the people who are involved, like the Royal family, in my opinion. Anyway, well, Jeff, That's why that is, you, know, you should ahead. follow people that sign up for that kind of drama, like professional wrestlers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I like how you brought it back, but anyway, Jeff, that is my somewhat feeble attempt at convincing you that this is, uh, at least mildly interesting. Well, so, I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's, it's. It's holiday week and I have my in-laws are in town. And so uh, I've definitely been hearing a lot about the Royals. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> well, I hope even even if you were not even slightly convinced, you appreciated the effort, Jeff. But I did. Um, I, yeah. I appreciate that you that you are uh, so involved, sort of. Uh, I, I, I think it's interesting that you, you know, between this and the crown, yeah. you know. Well, I, yeah, I went from not giving a shit at all. And thinking it's very frivolous to, I wouldn't say I'm invested. I just, I do think it's fascinating though, because like the death of Princess Diana, like when you learn everything that happened leading up to Princess Diana, it is so tragic. It's like, yeah, it's like real life Shakespeare shit, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Well, in like yeah. that level of tragedy. And it's just like, and, and then, and basically like being repeated with Harry and Meghan in many ways, right? Where That's the press awful. is like taking Meghan apart. Um, in the same way that they did for Dana. And it's like, um, so that's why I'm enthralled by it, you know, but, but at the same time, like you want to not become part of the problem by like, a, by, by, you know, by being a royal, royal expert, watching, right. By being yeah. not, not a royal expert, yeah. but like, but like there's a whole complex around it of, you know, that profits off of it. And, you know, um, and I, I, uh, that's something that's also on my mind. Um, but anyway, uh, so that's why I find it fascinating is because it's just like, it's so sad what happened, what has happened, you know, mm -hmm. and like, and um, Michael Hobbs from the um, You're Wrong About podcast and Maintenance Phase podcast once called, once made the case that he, the royal family is a human rights violation. 
Like right. yeah, being in the existence. royal families. Yeah. Yeah, they're just like that basically if you're in the royal family, you can't choose what job you do for your life. You can't really you don't have freedom for who you marry. Um, your life is like really set in prescribed in a very specific way and mm-hmm. it's very constrained. Um and it's like why why do we as a society allow it? You know, like or why do why does British society allow it? And like what are want the to be entertained. You right. Know? Like what trade offs to society's soul do we make by allowing it you know mm-hmm. so I, I, f- I find all those things fascinating to consider um so that's why i'm kind of into it these days um but i appreciate you your patience as i as i talk about it briefly here sure. on the film cast but that's harry and megan uh six-part documentary streaming on netflix if you follow the st- story closely you won't learn that much new but i think it's inherently valuable to get their perspective on it. so that's what i've been watching this week the vendor hardware You've watched a movie that I also watched this week. I, you know, when I saw this mm-hmm. on the What We've Been Watching list, I was like, wait, Devinger, didn't you talk about this? Turns out it was actually Jeff Kanata that mentioned it. Uh, Raved about it. Yeah. So, but I watched this movie as well. Devinger, what have you watched this week? Uh, I'm not sure if you're referring to the same one, but uh, I wanted to talk about a queen in my heart, <laughs> and that's Aubrey Plaza. Yep. <laughs> Aubrey Plaza. I watched Emily the Criminal, which is uh, her latest movie, and uh, directed by John Patton Ford. Guys, I love this movie. So this good. movie rules. Like it is, it is like um, I think a very good thriller that's about uh, somebody in rough circumstances who gets gets kind of an inkling into the criminal world and like just finds out that they're very very good at it. And I think it's fantastic. There are some of my um, favorite sequences this year are in this movie, just in terms of like how how insane and like how crazy things really get during it. And uh, all, all the while Aubrey Plaza is like a very, very great, uh, like a great star here. Like, I think she really centers this movie. She stars as a young girl who um, like a 30 something girl who has a lot of student debt is running, um, you know, uh, not so great jobs like food delivery jobs and food service jobs and also has like a criminal record. And because of that, that's really affected how she's available to uh, to actually take jobs and that her life is just kind of in a weird stuck place. So we see her kind of uh, slowly enter the criminal world and get deeper and deeper until things get really wild. And I think every every aspect of this movie is fantastic. So I just want to shout it out. It's on Netflix right now. I think she is so good. The only thing is that there, there are a few scenes there are a handful of the scenes where maybe you got to go a bit hard. Right. Like maybe you don't want to sound like April Ledgate in Parks and Rec. Right. And I, I think there are some scenes where like maybe they should have just gone a couple more times to get her a little a little more there. But overall, I think she does a great job here in Theo Rossi. It sounds like you wanted a harder edge for her. What a harder edge to her. Yeah. Uh, there are some scenes where she basically just tells off people, usually involving a job interview, mm-hmm. which I found really good. Like I find that really a very realistic way of somebody who just feels like uh, put upon by the world, like somebody mm-hmm. who the world is basically turned against. Like it's just, I, I'm just trying to get a job. Why are you guys all making this so hard? Those bits I found good, but there's some points where she's like, let's go do criminal stuff where I'm like, mm. Maybe maybe <laughs> we could have gone a little more on that. But beyond that, I love this movie. Uh, I really like the movie as well. So it's Emily the Criminal. It's available on Netflix. And I uh, I enjoyed it. I, I really thought felt it was about late-stage capitalism, mm-hmm. right? which uh, late-stage capitalism is like the absurdity, like the absurd situations and outcomes that occur in the stage of capitalism we're in right now. And um, that's really what it feels like this movie mm. is if trying you're young to say you about. don't have much experience and there are things kind of keeping you 
from getting more experience or like right. moving up in the world. And then just the, the reality of student loan debts and what all that mean and having a criminal record. Like this movie is about the unfairness of yes. the world really yes. like uh, on this one person, not to say she's not to blame for anything, but in a just society, like in a functioning society, um, Emily would, would not go down this path. Like she would have no reason to, if she was actually in, in a world where people were treated fairly. Hey yeah, Dave, do you I, recall when uh, when I brought this movie up? I called it uh, "Spirit of Halloween: The Conversation, the Movie." <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall that, but that sounds right. That sounds right. It's uh, fitting. That, that, it's that is a fitting. reference to a notorious After Dark episode that uh, that went completely off the rails between Jeff and I a couple <laughs> years ago. So, um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I like the movie not as much as you, Devendra, but I thought it was quite enjoyable. I would say it's a solid thriller. So yeah, it, it really for... ratchets things up. Like I feel like every scene where she is basically in danger is very effective. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. there's a scene involving a BMW. I was like, oh damn, okay, awesome. we're just we're <laughs> in this now. Incredible. Awesome. Yeah, uh, a scene where she gets ripped off, which is just like that went exactly the way I wanted it to mm-hmm. actually, and I feel for her. So yeah, I, I think it's just really effective, which I appreciate. I thought the uh, the male lead in it was awesome too. Uh, oh yeah, Leo Rossi. He's Leo awesome. Rossi, a, a guy I have genuinely hated because of uh, I think he's in Luke Cage or Daredevil or one of those, but he's in that universe and he was very bad in that show. But here he is a uh, he's great, really interesting. He's character. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Emily the criminal. It's one of the things Devinder Hart has been watching. Devinder, what else have you been watching? What to shout out? White Noise, Noah yes. Baumbach's new movie, which I know you saw, Jeff. No, and, I, uh, I, saw, I saw Jeff has not. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This confounding. Yeah, yeah uh, I feel like you may be into it, Jeff, but I found this movie genuinely confounding, right? I was looking at, I was basically like looking at my watch several times through this movie. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I like this. Like 15 minutes in, it's like, what's happening here? 30 minutes in. Um, nope. Not, not really clicking with any of this 45 minutes in. I think I hate this movie. <laughs> So I have not read the Don DeLillo book, but this movie is kind of, a, from what I've read, um, is trying to kind of capture the many genres that that movie or that book kind of explores. Mm, yeah. And I am just not, I'm just not vibing with it. Like it is trying to do a level of absurdity or, um, or something at the beginning, which I think is not great. I'm not a fan of, uh, you know, like academic people just, talking to each other in highfalutin ways where you cannot understand really what anyone's saying. And there's an affectation to every performance and the way people are doing things. I just don't find it funny. I don't find it really entertaining. I think the family, the core family like structure of this movie is really interesting. Um, and Adam driver and Greta Gorig are great, but I was just not clicking with this movie because I wanted to laugh. I wanted to be like maybe a little thrilled. I want to be intrigued by this movie and all I was saying was like, um, man, it's really weird that Noah Baumbach is basically doing a disaster movie and basically doing one that is like about our experience post COVID or during COVID mm-hmm. or thing. Yeah. I found it all just very weird. This is a strange film, just very strange. And I do not like it. No hmm. disagreement here. I think I enjoyed it quite a bit more than you, Devendra, but it's weird and it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. Um, but I will say now this, I got to watch it. I, I want to yeah, know if you, this is going to be an after sun. This experience. is going to be an after sun situation, uh, Jeff. I, th- I think you should watch it because I think you will be into it's, it, Jeff. Yeah. It's really freaking weird. It's a it's a movie that seems to change. And I like weird. I, I love yeah, weird. Yeah, sure, sure. Dude, I yeah. love Noah Baumbach movies. This is unlike anything he's ever done before, in my opinion. But I would um, think also also very, very Bombacky. Uh somebody was pointing out, I forget it may have been Walter Chaw on Twitter, but 
um, that parts of this movie feel like uh, a sitcom, right? And I was like, yes, actually, if Noah Baumbach made a sitcom, <laughs> it would kind of be like this movie, and it definitely would not be something I want to watch. Mm-hmm. But also, it also like changes genres like every twenty it minutes, it right? Does. It's it's the people speak in a very stilted fashion Ugh. like that's very obvious that, that is my kryptonite i think yeah. in any movie mm-hmm. where you're like interesting so Ugh. do you not like your ghost lanthimos movies Divindra? like i i've Phil- talked about this like yeah. where i'm like i get what you're doing i get where you're going yeah. for i didn't like much of them until like uh what was it the latest one the favorite uh, the favorite like favorite yeah, was good but also one, didn't have they weren't they it. weren't speaking i mean they were speaking yeah, very somebody else wrote yeah, it somebody else wrote Great. it exactly yeah yeah um, but yeah, like killing of a sacred deer, like everyone talks Ugh. very robotically in that movie. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Anyway, um, well, I'm sorry you didn't like it, Devendra. I, I had a good time with it. Jeff Kanata, really excited to see what you think about it. Yeah, I gotta maybe, watch that. Maybe it's a potential top ten material for Jeff Kanata. Who knows? But anyway, those are a few of the things that we've been watching. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more uh, the film cast right after this. All right, folks, let's get to weekly plugs. Folks, events in the world at large have caused me to reconsider my online presence. And as a result, uh, I have started a newsletter because I want to keep in touch you with folks. You want more work. <laughs> Love it. Love to hear uh, it. I'm taking all the work that I used to put into Twitter and I'm uh-huh. pouring it into the newsletter. Anyway, uh, you can check it out at Decoding. This newsletter is a series of 120 character. <laughs> it should be. I, thought, I, I honestly wish it could be that because that would be a lot less work than this. Um, <laughs> Doing coherent <laughs> sentences and paragraphs is hard. I That's know. Work. It's really, really hard. Anyway, decodingeverything.com. I recently wrote an article called The 10 Biggest Hollywood Fiascos of 2022. Uh, looking back at a year where a lot of bad stuff happened, I would argue. Um, been, a, been a rough year for Hollywood this year. And I think, I honestly think this will be like a big inflection point um, for Hollywood. And uh, I talk about it at my uh, my newsletter, decodingeverything.com. We'll also talk a little bit more about it sure. on our top 10 episode next week, which, as I've mentioned several times already, will be delayed a couple of times. Okay. Like Babylon at the end of the year is really fitting for that oh, list. Oh, totally. Too. Totally yeah. fitting. Um, but yes. Uh, a couple days is what I meant to say earlier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, your Hardware, your weekly plug. Sure. Uh, if you have not been listening to all of my recommendations here, which I know some people have not, uh, over at Engadget, I've collected uh, the best shows to binge over the holidays, which are sort of over, but I know people have this week off and you've got New Year's time. So uh, check it out. Uh, I've got a good list of recommendations there, stuff we've talked about, and uh, you know maybe some new things there too. It's over at Engadget. All right. Best stuff to binge over the holidays. Jeff Kanata, what's your weekly plug? Well, I do a weekly video game show called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And it is the end of the year. So we just released our top five. We don't, other people do top tens of video games. We do top five. Uh, make <laughs> I was going to say other people. You mean yourself on the film cast? Well, me, but not video <laughs> games. Uh, yeah, yeah. We make it harder on ourselves. We limit it to five. Uh, and uh, and then we do uh, five sort of hidden gems that aren't our six through tens. I think it's a really interesting format. Nobody else really does it like we do it. And it's a great episode every year. And it just came out. So you can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. It's our favorite games of 2022. All right. I'm looking forward to listening to that one, Jeff. Anyway, um, I already mentioned that on patreon.com slash film podcast, you can support this show. 
uh, and get ad-free episodes as well as exclusive exclusive after darks like this one we'll be doing this week about the whale, the new Darren Aronofsky movie. Uh, but we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. You can always go to uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review for us or just share about the podcast on social media. Every little bit helps. We'd really be grateful if you'd support us in that way as well. All right, folks, let's get to our review of Babylon. I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. It's... If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. Yes. Let's go. Something that lasts, that means something. You know, when I first moved to LA, you know what the signs on all the doors read? No actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. Good morning. Good job for you. I'll do anything. That's the cocksucker they said to screw us. Welcome to the Filmcast. This is our review of Babylon. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Babylon is a tale of outsized ambitious and outrageous excess, tracing the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. End quote. Babylon follows multiple characters through the course of a very tumultuous time period in Hollywood, and I'm going to name the major ones. Uh, Jack Conrad, played by Brad Pitt. Nellie Leroy, played by Margot Robbie. Manny Torres, played by Diego Calva. Uh, Sidney Palmer, played by Jovan Adepo. And also Anna Mae Wong, played by Lee Jun Lee. So these are kind of the stories. She's that not Anna Mae Wong. She is playing a character inspired by Anna Mae. Lady Fei Zhu is the character's name. Gotcha. Google is uh, giving me the wrong information. Sorry about they, that. I, yes. I assume they can't just do like straight up. They are this person for yes. legal reasons. So yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, those are the people who Babylon follows. Uh, Damien Chazelle. This is a really interesting movie. This feels like a blank check movie. Damien Chazelle. His second um, blank check movie, to be honest. Second like, blank check movie. I mean, nobody he was made... really asking for First Man except for <laughs> Damien Chazelle. He and made. Uh, yeah, he made La La Land. He won Best Director. Then he mm-hmm. made First Man. Uh, which was a movie that, like, at first I didn't end up loving that much. Like, I didn't love on first watch, but then, like, the that more movie I thought sits back with to you. it. Yeah, yeah, the more I thought back to it, I was like, oh, you know, that, he actually did some pretty cool stuff in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't do particularly well at the box office, nor did it get too much awards love. Not uh, enough jazz. Not enough jazz yeah. in First Man. Yeah. And now uh, he's coming back with Babylon. This is movie cost over $80 million to make. Uh, it's going to make a tiny fraction of that. I think Paramount's going to be okay because they had, you know, the biggest movie at the box office this year with Top Gun Maverick <laughs> and many, many other successes. Uh, I am a little more worried about Damien Chazelle, though. I hope he gets what he needs. After to make seeing this movie, you're like, are you okay? What's well, uh There's, there's, like, you know, like, how is he feeling psychologically? He feeling? But also, like, yeah, does he? I, 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 I was thinking of that Simpsons scene uh, where it was just a side character. It was like, let her keep speaking. Um, I'm trying to get fired. <laughs> and this feels like Damien Chazelle is just helping. Like, I'm just gonna make this movie, and they fire me. They kick me out of this town. So be it. Yeah, <laughs> Damien Chazelle. It, in many ways, like a Herculean effort. Yeah, to make this it, movie. in many yeah. ways, it does feel like that. Yeah. Um. But, uh. So, I, I think Paramount's gonna be okay. Less sure about Damien Chazelle's career. Uh. <laughs> you know, I I just remember like it taking so much work and effort for him to get the funding to make La La Land. Which for obviously sure. ended up becoming a huge I, success. After Whiplash, like I was fully on board. 
with David oh, yeah. Chazelle after Whiplash. And also, like, um, I mean, he did the script for Grand Piano, which is that movie. I feel like yeah. did you guys ever end up seeing that. But the I thought, story yeah, behind yeah. him, there were like tales from people I know who went to NYU was like, that dude has like 50 scripts. He just has like he has been writing. He has been like laser focused on making <laughs> movies. So I was like and I saw Whiplash and was like, yeah, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. So, totally, yes, Damien totally. Chazelle. Keep going. Uh, yeah, I, I think he is an undeniable talent. Um, but I am really curious, Devinder Hardware. Let's start with you. What did you think of Babylon? Hmm. You know what, folks? Heartbreak does feel good in a film like this. <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed Babylon. I think it's a wild and unexpected rise, a uh, ride into the end of the silent era, uh, and pure Hollywood excess too. And I found it ultimately moving and a great tribute to cinema's power despite the cost, right? Despite the cost of cinema and the cost of like creating a movie. And I, this movie is way too long. I feel like it's unbalanced in what it's trying to do. Cause towards the end, it tries to hit an emotional mark that it didn't fully set up. But I, I think like most of Chazelle's films, um, it's a movie about the cost of art, right? And the cost of art on your soul and on your person, how much are you willing to give up to, to pursue this thing that you love so much? And I think it's a great exploration of that. Um, I love Margot Robbie in this movie. You know, sometimes we talk about there not being movie stars anymore, right? It feels like that age is is disappearing. And then Margot Robbie appears and it's just like freaking just like doing fireworks. Like she is just like so on the ball on this movie, even though her character does feel a bit like what if uh, what if Harley Quinn just really wanted to be an actress at some <laughs> point? It's a bit like that. But I think she's great. Like she's a bona fide star here. And um, like at times she's powering the entire film. I found that really fantastic. And I really love Diego Calva as well. Like I've not seen him before. I know he was like, he's pretty much a newcomer. He's been in some uh, TV stuff, Uh, but I think he was a great blank slate. And I really appreciate like the arc of his character also makes a lot of sense from things we see him do early in the movie. And I won't even say that here because uh, I I think that may be a little bit of a spoiler, but I I like the fact that this movie spotlights many different characters. That's maybe a response to a complaint about La La Land, which was a movie so saturated in jazz and LA-ness and was ultimately like about two white people and their their scope, right? Their scope of this universe. Yeah. And I'm like, we could have gone a little harder. I do appreciate like the wider perspective of this, of this movie. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of wild. I feel like this is the only, one of the few movies I've seen that follows up uh, an elephant shitting directly on the camera from, you know, that perspective to, uh, to Golden Showers. Like really, Damien Chazelle just like breaking the breaking whole, boundaries all, yeah. all yeah. over the place. The whole range. I, I was shocked. I was range. shocked the camera was not just like giving us a porn shot of that golden shower. Like it feels like <laughs> from the beginning, Damien Chazelle saying, F you, audience. What do you mm-hmm. what do you enjoy so much about movies? And some of it feels very angry. It feels like he's angry at Hollywood at times, or maybe angry at the audience. I don't know. Um, uh, but there is a genuine love for movies too. Like and I think it's something we're all kind of thinking about, right? Like, I, I love movies. I, I love Tom Cruise movies. And every time you got to be like, except for that whole cult thing, you know, like <laughs> we, the whole human cost of movies and what it takes to make them is something that often gets um, just kind of forgotten as we're like there enjoying the spectacle of it. Um, it's interesting that Brad Pitt is starring in this movie, like after like he is currently embroiled in like a bitter, uh, bitter thing with Angelina Jolie over potential like abuse so again we just watched brad pitt in a very fun uh you know crime you know crime movie i was like oh man brad pitt's really fun not so fun off camera it seems at least according to his family so 
that 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 dichotomy that that thing we're always wrestling with i think Mm -hmm. this movie is just really interesting it is way too long it could be sharper it could be shorter but i loved it i loved it from start to finish all right i do just want to maybe correct one thing you said which is Mm -hmm. you know i agree margot robbie is incredible in this movie like i actually think she should get nominated for this movie Mm -hmm. uh for an academy award um but the fact that this movie opened to i think like three million dollars um, oh, oh so, are we bringing numbers into this? Well, people <laughs> yeah. argue, or $5 million, yeah. I'm sorry, $5 million, but people are people would argue that part of being a movie star is being able to mm-hmm. open movies real big. Maybe, um, maybe. You're sure. saying like, Brad we'll, Pitt isn't a movie star? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I am saying that. I'm, uh, like, there's anymore. a lot of people that think Ridiculous. there's no, there's people that people, and I agree with them, that think there's no such thing as a movie star anymore. Like, oh, and, Okay, if you're, I'm not bringing in the economic argument here. I'm talking about like think, what a movie star kind of like represents sure, yeah, culturally. Yeah, I'm, I am the economic argument that like there, yeah, there you're is, the you're the boring numbers. I think guy that's a right <laughs> that's a postmodern view of what the the uh, movie star yes. is supposed to do because mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. you could point out literally any movie star from any era and they've had flops. Yep. Absolutely. Sure. Which, which this movie also kind and, of and like deals with, like being that guy. Yeah. You know, Clark Gable uh, isn't a movie star. Jimmy Stewart isn't a movie star. Okay. Or, or I, I think I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but like I, I mean, you you I took bought... us on this track, so. <laughs> well, well, yeah. okay, yeah. I mean, I I violently disagree with what you're saying. Like, I'm not say, like you're saying, I'm not saying it, it doesn't matter. Wait, no. I'm yeah. saying these, I'm saying I'm saying Dave. no one in this movie has demonstrated that they can open a movie on their own. Okay. At, at least in the current okay. environment. Well, okay. no one in this so movie we're, we're can just, open we're a just movie. Talking to, about the, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying, in terms of box, like in terms of the present day box office, like if you look at all the movies that Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt have made in the last five years. Like, they they cannot open a movie on. I, I think that's so, that's a good argument to saying. make. It's not it's not what I'm talking about right yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, no, I get it. It's I get also it. But, like, but I'm saying that's, that's a weird. Their, I'm not saying they had one flop. Like this is not one flop. This is uh-huh. we live in a world now where there's very few people other than maybe Tom Cruise, maybe Will mm-hmm. Smith that can open a movie on their own. And even that is like going away. So that's all I'm saying. Yep. I'm talking about somebody who can, um, I just think a... hold a camera just like yeah, sure. they're on the screen. You're like, Oh, there could be madness happening around them, but they are always the focus of the action. And yeah, they yeah, hold yeah. the camera. I agree. Their attention. I think that is an the... extremely narrow definition of what a movie star is. It is and one that probably... almost no one else holds. No, I, okay, I wouldn't say I, no one. I wouldn't say, this, this, is is all, like, yeah. this is all the, there's massive like discourse about this online right now. Yeah. And I am certainly not alone in feeling this way, but also um, uh, that what I said is a necessary, but not sufficient aspect of being a movie star. Like, sure. Um, sure. There's, you, I'm not saying you, you only can open a movie and nothing else. Like, yeah, it also is the stuff that Devendra says, the charisma, the intangible things like that. So mm-hmm. it's both things. That's what a movie star is for me, my definition. Um, and I think we basically live in a society that doesn't have them anymore. But anyway, those are my feelings. I know yours dis- differ. We can probably debate this in the after dark. I want to know, Jeff Canada, what did you think of Babylon overall? Well, Dave, I thought it was full of movie stars. Uh, I guess you could say. <laughs> my God, it's full of stars. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say. Oops, my all thoughts stars. Are... <laughs> it's all stars. Uh, stars as far as the eye can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess you could say what my... Th- feelings are about Babylon are best summed up in the form of a limerick. I guess I must first off explain that I've never taken cocaine. And maybe it's not like this movie is shot, but both things seem hard to sustain. (laughs) Uh I also loved this movie. For like 
85% of it. So much sure, so sure. it's too much that yeah. I love, I like, I came out, I texted you guys when I walked out of this movie, yeah. I yeah. said, holy shit, Babylon to both you guys. Which, I, by the way, I just want to say, I just want to say that's a fairly rare occurrence. Like, yes, because we, I, I think my sense is that Jeff is in general wants to respect that like on this podcast is the first time we're hearing Jeff's opinions, right? Yes. In general, right? But also <laughs> I felt like that was sufficiently ambiguous a text. Yeah, yeah. That, that's <laughs> pretty ambiguous. No, I have no problem with it. I have no problem with it, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, Dave, your letterbox reviews hitting my notifications, those are the things that Yeah, are... I have to actively avoid <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, those. sorry yeah. about that. Um, it's okay. <laughs> I don't care. But, I actually, I don't mind. No, yeah, yeah. I have been, I have been texting uh, many friends saying you have to go see Babylon because it's a, this bring, is a big. Bring your family. Bring your family. <laughs> I feel really bad Call going into the screening. There was, there was a grandma, several aunts, like a, a generation of women going to see this. We're going to go see the new Brad Pitt movie. I was way up front. They were in the back. I just felt really bad for them. Yeah. For those opening 10 minutes. I don't know. You know what you're going to get right away. Mm -hmm. You know, the movie does not hide its excesses. Um, anyway, I've been texting uh, several friends saying, you got to go see this movie because I think there's nothing quite like it. This movie feels like being shot out of a cannon. Mm. And about an hour into this, I knew going in, the movie was three hours and 10 minutes long. About an hour into this movie, I, I thought to myself, is this movie going to be able to keep this up? Is this what this movie is going to be for three friggin' hours? Am I going to, is it, is it going to, because an hour of it had been at the most breakneck, insane pace I have ever seen in a movie. And this hour. movie does all of Boogie Nights in the first 30 minutes, basically. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. I, I'm telling you, it's like, uh, what's that old, uh, that old stock footage of the guy, like his face being peeled back by the wind, you know, that's what it feels like inside this movie for the first hour, maybe even almost hour and a half, two hours. It is just pedal to the metal insanity. And I loved it. I've never seen anything like it. It was just so over the top, so insane. So the camera just doing these in, insane things with, you know, thousands of extras and uh, kinetic madness all around you. Also, debauchery, the likes of which we don't typically see in an yes. already movie. I feel like if this movie moved slower, right, you'd be like, oh, there, that is just penetrative sex happening <laughs> right around the side of the street. But you're moving so fast, you're like, I, oh, I can't it's keep going. Keep going, David. And, and, and the, the soundtrack's like, and you're, you're moving, and we're making a movie, and it's like thousands of people, and everybody's insane and high and crazy and, and shouting at each other. I mean, everybody's shouting at each everybody's other. Everybody's shouting. And, and it is... It it's is, like a it's like a film cast argument about movie stars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but good. Uh, I mean, and I was flea just, is there. Guys, flea is there. Flea, he's always there. Flea is shouting at people. Uh, I mean, it, there are so many scenes that I have thought about. It it, it 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 is it's just like high octane filmmaking on a level of mm. of craftsmanship and and ambition that I just couldn't help but be in awe of. I was like, he is leveraging every aspect of the film process to just blow the doors off of, of your yeah. experience. 
feels like early Scorsese, you know, or even like I, I think of like a, maybe a movie like Raising Arizona or something like just the the opening of that movie always blows me away. But a lot of those movies uh, actually fueled by cocaine, you know, and the <laughs> drugs that they took to make it. And I don't know if that was the case for this one, but it certainly feels like it. I mean, I think the like movie, yeah. it, it feels like you are on something to witness mm-hmm. it. it. It is it is so fast, so kinetic, so crazed, so, sh- taking you places, showing you things that are so wild and improbable and over the top and everyone is just behaving as if it is normal everyday occurrence that you just feel like you're transported into this you know you're on the on the tumble cycle of the of the dryer you know what i mean it is bonkers also reminder i didn't go to great parties i guess (laughs) are are parties like this typically it's the the best possible in, in the best possible way it feels crazed and insane and it's just like Man, I've just never seen a movie grab a hold of me like that and fling me around. And I was having so much fun with it. And then, just as I'm sort of going, how is it going to do this for three hours? It comes to a grinding halt. Mm. And then it's sort of... Maybe when the notable actor appears, but yeah. It yeah. decides it needs to do this other thing that I'm like, what? Well, we didn't really need to do that. We really need to go full Dante's Inferno here, but yeah. we're, we're, go, we're going there. Yeah, and then, I mean, we'll get to it in spoilers. But there's a few things that happen that just kind of come out of left field, where it feels like, you know, a, 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 a screenwriter who is saying to himself, "Why, well, really need to wrap this up somehow?" <laughs> you know, and, and and it's unfortunate. I honestly, the movie's as Devinder said, too long. It doesn't really know where it wants to end up, and I don't think it it lands successfully, and it it it, it doesn't. If it just like abruptly stopped after two hours, I think it probably would have been one of my favorite movies of the year. And it it really is one of my favorite movie experiences of the year. This is truly an unparalleled experience. It's just like, wow, I witnessed something. I saw a director going for it. I just saw like the money is on the screen. Like this is epic. In a way that most times I use that word, I'm not, I don't mean, <laughs> you know, wow. All right. but, but I don't think it sticks the landing. I don't think it's perfect, but I, I still, I still come away really thinking highly of this movie. It's probably my second, fa- I mean, not probably. D- yes. It's definitely my second favorite Damien Chazelle movie after Whiplash. Wow. Mm. And it, I just, I had a blast watching it and I keep recommending it to people. Cause I'm like, you know what? Yes, it's super adult. Yes, Jeff likes choosing violence with his recommendations. <laughs> well, <laughs> tell your mom. There's, there's yeah. people, I mean, there's people in my life that I know will appreciate it or I think will appreciate it. Or if even if they don't appreciate it, we'll be like, man, that was something. And I feel like that's, it's undeniable that you're watching somebody just going for it. And I had so much fun with that. It just doesn't, it can't possibly sustain its pace for three hours and 10 minutes. And I don't think it should have attempted to, but here we are. Well, uh, I really love the movie as well. I thought it was awesome and an incredible experience. This movie, Babylon, is like if the Fablemans (laughs) and Hail Caesar had a baby Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that baby grew up 
and started doing massive quantities of cocaine and just started <laughs> writing down like ideas for what <laughs> scenes and plot lines would convey the magic of movies and then just decided to blow $80 million on it. It's a cocaine baby. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm. Totally. I <laughs> really like this cocaine movie. bear, which is also happening. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I like this movie a lot and it has problems and I'll just mention them briefly. What I think they are, you know, I think that the movie follows multiple parallel stories and not all of them get the same amount of attention. Apparently, like, all. the original script was, uh, I saw a rumor that it was, like, around four hours long. And, like, that's the movie I want to watch. I would watch that. Yeah. It's because, like, I felt like several of these plot lines got pretty short shrift in the final movie. Like, not all of them land in a ver- in a satisfying way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them feel pretty um, thin. Almost you know? none of them land in <laughs> 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 Arguably. Arguably. Yeah. You know? Um, so, that is a bit of a bummer. But what you have in exchange is a movie that just is like powered by sheer adrenaline. And there's always so much to look at. And really um, it does manage to capture a lot of what makes movies magic, but at the heart of the movie is also a deep anxiety about society and technology changing. Right. Um, Babylon takes place during the transition between the silent film era and the talkies as they were called back then, I believe, um, where, you know, uh, people started using sound in movies and many people did not make that transition successfully. Mm -hmm. And we are obviously seeing that today where, uh, many people from the old order of movies and all the industry, not only just movies, but like the industries around movies, um, the media around movies, podcasts, uh, news publications, and so on. Like, obviously we're in the midst of an incredible uh, like a huge tumultuous transition right now in our society. Uh, and I think it's obviously a parallel for what's going on in Babylon. And I really appreciated that. Like there's different ways you can approach it. There's people who like embrace the change. There's people who try, but fail, you know, and there's people who like, just can't deal with it. Can't deal with the change at all. Right. And, uh, and I like that, you know, these different characters allow us to see those different versions of what dealing with it is. So I liked it a lot. We have a lot more to discuss in spoilers though. So, well, let me just, uh, yeah. I'll just, I want to comment too again about Margot Robbie, um, uh, movie star, uh, who what is, uh, yeah. what a Night year B- between this and Amsterdam. I mean, Amsterdam is a movie I liked a lot less than this movie, mm-hmm. but undeniable that like those two films to come out in the same year, what, what amazing performances. I mean, she's, she's mm-hmm. incredible. And I, I, I you know, I, I'm so excited to see, you know, the fact she's doing a Barbie movie and she's doing a superhero movie. I mean, she's just really yeah, she's throwing amazing. a lot at the wall. I, and I it, love the path she's on. Like, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, while you're throwing a shout out for Margot Robbie, I got to say Diego Calva as well. Like he has a really yeah. hard job in this movie. He's kind of like the anchor of the movie. Like he's yeah. holding the whole movie together. Uh, he's he's like the straight man. You know, he's like yeah. everything yeah. is like falling apart around him. And he's and like we're trying introduced to, to him covered in elephant shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. just. Yeah, his journey is so fantastic. Yeah, so uh, they without them, I think those pair of performances, I think the movie wouldn't work mm-hmm. because everything else around the movie is so wild and outrageous. Yeah, uh, this, this movie is what Amsterdam wanted to be, right? Amsterdam wanted to be this like big energetic thing that's like covering all aspects of history and things going on, and it always felt flat. And this one is just like I from the moment that pit that elephant shit on a camera, we were just going. Everybody, yeah. like in the movie, never it didn't stop really until towards the end. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to spoilers for Babylon starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm gonna see this coming. 
No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret name. You want to be fooled. Well, we got to talk about it, because, Jeff, you mentioned it during the main review, but <laughs> the when Tobey Maguire shows up, it sounds like that did not work for you. Right, Jeff? I mean, I think that sequence is bonkers i think the I, thought first it was scene, I thought it was incredible i, I the first too. scene I mean, with it's him the most tense mm-hmm. like i that's not that's not what i would say is signaling the uh-huh yeah you know the yeah. bad i was like that descent into madness yes is, man we didn't need that i don't think we need we, we didn't need was, that at all I, I would agree that it's like a hat on a hat right it's it like yeah, on the hat, it doesn't it doesn't hat. like it, it doesn't illuminate poop, poop, really. any yeah. like it doesn't illuminate further the depravity of the scenario any more mm-hmm. than like previous stuff had really mm-hmm. right but i still thought it was like i can't believe he's doing like when i'm watching he, I'm like, i like i can't in. believe he's going for we're gonna it. call like, this place the asshole of la yeah. we're gonna go down the asshole yeah, of la i can't believe he's going for it and that's that's amazing we are the enema yeah. In this movie. Uh, I will say uh the Toby Maguire stuff, like when he appears, he looks freakish. Like this yeah. movie does a great <laughs> job of making him look like he's just like a vampire or something. So I kind of I would have preferred if that scene was just like them talking to to Toby Maguire rather than the whole uh, Dante's Inferno thing. Um, but do want to shout out, like, man, was he creepy? And yeah, he's really one creepy. of the producers on the movie, I believe. Huh. And so he, I I just Love that he would like. Not mm-hmm. only was he okay with it, he probably like encouraged. Oh yeah, looking he, that he was terrifying. All looking yeah. that terrifying. Yeah, um, but Jeff, okay. So if that wasn't where it didn't stick the landing, then what is your issue with the movie? Well, I mean, I think I think that it forces a sentimentality that the movie, the rest of the movie, mm. didn't really get to. Um, I, I just the the suicide by um, Brad Pitt's character comes out of nowhere for, for oh, me. I, it, yeah. it, it it didn't it didn't seem honest to the stuff that we'd seen up to that point with that character. I feel uh, like the great conversation he had with Jean smart where she just like lays it out. Oh, it was awesome. Like, oh buddy. Like you're a star for a while and you fade, but you will live on in your imagery. And I feel like his takeaway from that was just like, he says, thanks for that. Right. And at that moment, I was like, Oh, he's going to kill himself. Cause like he cannot bear to be in this universe now, but mm. okay. I, I, yeah. I thought it, I thought it worked just because mm-hmm. it was clear that like, um, he had lost, like his personal life was a disaster and he had lost like the one thing that was holding him together, which is like his fame and popularity in the movies. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't make that transition successfully. Obviously. He also had this great moment of peace in that final scene we see him doing. Like he's on the beach and he's like, he does this thing and the director's like more interested in the young star who's like clearly going to be going places and he mm. looks around and he looks at everybody involved and is just like, is taking it in. Like, like yeah. one, mm-hmm. one final times. Like that felt like, that felt like a goodbye moment to me as well. And also I feel like the movie should have probably leaned a little more on the sentimentality and the idea of like what movies actually mean to us, because it does feel like it forces it at the end with, um, with Diego Calva, like in the theater, put it, put a character in the theater and have him react to movies. Like, yeah, I I will be fully on board with them. Um, But the movie doesn't fully like set that up amidst all the other debauchery stuff. So Jeff, I want to make sure you have time to finish the point you're making. So like, no, uh, okay, I, I, the, I don't. Yeah. For me, there there isn't a demarcation line of this is the point at which the movie. I just feel like all of that momentum comes to a grinding halt uh, in, in about in that area of uh you know of the movie in that last I don't know twenty percent of the movie, not even that much, fifteen percent of the movie. It just it, everything slows way, way, way down, mm-hmm. and 
you know, we get that sequence where Margot Robbie goes and has the outburst at the um, at the party where she's, you know, throwing things and 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 rubbing food on herself and all that stuff. And it just feels like, OK, I, I, I don't the movie just feels like it's grinding its wheels at a certain point mm -hmm. uh, toward the end for me. And, um, and I wanted spinning, I, I, spinning its wheels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's, it just didn't, it, it lost that incredible momentum that it had mm -hmm. had and mm -hmm. that sense of inevitability. And it just felt like, okay, we're, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are you really trying to say movie? And I, and I, like I said, I, the, the Brad Pitt suicide didn't work for me. The, you know, uh, Margot Robbie running. Uh, there's some beautiful things. Uh, like this is a, an extremely talented filmmaker. So even the stuff that doesn't work, still there's like incredibly memorable imagery and beautiful. See, like them running off and just you know dancing in that in that party they find and then being recognized. Like all of that stuff is is beautiful in its own way. But I just kind of felt like, all right, what are we doing? I've been here for yeah, so what long. What here? are we doing? Yeah. Where are we, where are yeah. we ending up here? Make up your mind. And, it ends with uh, Vin Diesel saying. The movies, basically. Well, that's that's, like, that's what it we is. We go and we just yeah. see a montage of you know <laughs> all life, the most the culturally well, well, First, first of, all, of all, I yeah. think here's the thing: this movie definitively proves mm -hmm. that Avatar is culturally relevant. You know, yeah, baby. Like, oh, I, I believe me. I think and it's more like I saw, uh, this, I saw this before I saw The Way of Water. I'm pretty so. sure, like my brain started leaking mm -hmm. out of my head when I saw Avatar. I think, I think it was more like, hey, Jimmy C, can we get uh, some Terminator 2 footage in our movie? Uh, yeah. Do you know what's going to take? Get some Terminator <laughs> in your movie? If you, hey, if you, want to, if you want to, yeah. if you want to have clips of the most important movies in the history of films, uh -huh, there's uh -huh. a certain movie that needs to be in there for it to, it to even make sense. An <laughs> audience would walk away going, wait a minute. <laughs> there's a conspicuous where's Jake, absence. Where's Jake Sully? Where's Jake yes. Sully? Yeah. Where's Colonel Where, Miles Quaritch? Here's the this? world tree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a few other things we have to, like, in my opinion, we have to mention about what's awesome mm -hmm. about this movie. One of them is, um, like, showing how silent films were made was amazing. Like, all the there, sets are next to each other. that I didn't realize, yeah. All the mm -hmm. sets are next to each other because they don't need to care about sound. And then, mm -hmm. like, to go from that to then that whole sequence with the sound, it was very, like, Oh, Hail man. Caesar. I brought up Hail Caesar, but like, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, the Hail Caesar with like, would that it were so simple? Like that whole thing is like very reminiscent of that and, and other things of that nature. Um, but I thought like individual sequences, the opening scene, uh, the scene where Margot Robbie is filming the silent film, the f f scene where Margot Robbie is filming the scene with the sound for the first time. Like each one of those is like a masterpiece, like in and of itself, like truly just on, on their own. Um, that sequence together, where they're trying together, to get they're the sound. They're a little unwieldy, you know, but yeah. yeah. Go ahead. It's where they're trying to get the sound and that dude is in the box, like yeah, overheating. It's just uh, incredible. It's incredible. incredible. Just amazing. Like the way they repeat the shots over and over again, like the mm -hmm. rhythm of editing. Yeah. It's just so, it's so good. Um, and yeah, there, it, there are these sort of side plots with um, uh, Legion Lee playing uh, Lady Feizu and, um, uh, the Sydney character, and basically, like being forced to sacrifice, like mm -hmm. already being marginalized because of their race, and then being forced to sacrifice their ethnicity, uh, their sort of personhood, in, yeah. in service of Hollywood. Um, it, you know, I, I don't think there were th those were like the best, like fleshed out storylines. Um, Could have used a lot more character development, in my opinion. But I like mm -hmm. that it was like nodding at, like, hey, 
Um, these are people who have been marginalized for like pretty shitty reasons yeah. in the past. And, uh, and I appreciate important that. that it's actually Manny who's basically acting as the hand of the studio to like <clears throat> yeah. force them to do that. They're like his character gets really interesting and complex later on. But early on, we we're like, we're like, deal with those union people who are complaining. He's like, all right, sure, I'll figure it out. I'm going to get on a horse and like shoot into the air and like rally <laughs> people who are probably just demanding a fair day's, you know, wage or something. Um, he's a really interesting fixer type as a character, but also somebody who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm g- going to get my hands dirty because this is what I want, um, no matter what it like costs other people at times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, just uh, the notion that back mm-hmm. then, like the, the, that whole sequence with Spike Jones as the director and uh, that <laughs> this idea of like all we're shooting is a kiss at sunset. Uh-huh. But we need 400,000 people down doing stuff like murdering each other. Well, to- that that was awesome. But also like the idea that if you've been a, to a movie set like this is very on brand of like mm-hmm. everything grinds to a halt because one person <laughs> Like something goes yes. wrong with like one person's yes. piece of equipment, basically. Hundred percent. And so he had to like go and run. Like everyone's just sitting there waiting. Like that's a lot <laughs> yep. of movie sets is just sitting there, people waiting around no for good. something to happen, right? There's um, so much. There's so many sequences in this movie. They're just him renting the here. camera. Him renting the yeah, camera. Yeah, like, yeah. Can you believe there's a this guy's asking? There's a difference between this number and this number. I'm surprised like, oh, that Davindra wasn't playing that person that was at <laughs> yeah, the camera yeah. desk because that's a very Davindra esque. <laughs> uh, Oh, man. Events, yeah. stuff like that like it makes room for things like that which i feel like it, it's great it's fantastic adds to the texture of this overall movie you know yeah uh and yeah i, I mean I, I just want to say yes avatar is at the end of the movie but also just like <laughs> this is a movie that spends three hours being like hey look at how wild and debauched hollywood used to be and like how much of that dna is still in the movies today and trace you know I'm giving you these five characters whose storylines we're going to follow so you can trace this line over time. And then at the end of the movie still has the goal to do a montage providing the entire history of movies. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, in case I love, you didn't in, get the point. In, yeah. In case you didn't get the point, here it is again in montage form for all you TikTokers out there in case you're still watching this. Um, I, I, I like that. I like the goal. I like that. Oh, yeah, me like, too. Hey, you Me did too. not expect to see this, but here you go. Here, here's everything, and also like very experimental towards the end too, which I kind of appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very the, yeah. We we go seem ahead. to be. Now correct me if I'm wrong, because I may be getting my film history incorrect, but we seem to be like outside of traditional timelines, right? Because uh, singing in the rain happens in this movie. Yeah, in this movie's timeline, way before "Singing in the Rain" actually happened in the world, right? Mm. Well, "Singing in the Rain" was in, released in 1952, right? And this, this is there's like that "Singing in the Rain" number that yeah. Brad Pitt is in, yeah, that is clearly referencing the film, unless that song preexisted. I don't and at know. At times, that Brad Pitt's character is basically talking about movie plots of like modern movies. Yes, exactly. So, like, so, like, it's that, a little anachronistic in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. but so it's, it's kind of living in this weird dreamlike mm-hmm. place. Um, I, I don't know. I, well, he, it so weird. he I sees it, I the that. movie singing in the rain at the end. Of, that's the movie he's seeing at the end. No, of no, the no. Movie. But Brad yeah. Pitt is yeah. in a uh, singing in the rain. Right. Yeah. Fi- um, film sequence way before singing in the rain ever existed yeah in the, yeah, yeah in the timeline of this movie is they all, it they're all singing singing in the rain in that big uh choir uh piece yeah 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 yeah. I, i'm just trying to figure out like is it 
was there a precursor to Singing in the Rain that that's, like? That's yeah. my. I don't yeah. think so, but I could be completely wrong. But but Devinder is also right that there are other like movie plots referenced that are come way 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 later. He's kind of throwing it out there. I yeah. mean, Singing in the Rain was also about the idea of the rise of talkies too. So I think like yeah. thematically, you know, like, totally. like we're just putting that in there. Um, that I do like that you know this movie is kind of jogging a lot of things or putting them all together but the idea of like major technological advances and the way it kind of reshapes Hollywood we're we're in the midst of that too and uh, of course I'm talking about high frame rate you know movies (laughs) guys like that's going to change everything and not everybody can keep up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and many people might outright reject it indeed indeed. people may want to would rather stab their eyes out than watch a high frame rate movie but it's all in the name of progress folks (laughs) all right folks um well it sounds like we all loved it which uh i'm shocked i thought i'm I'm surprised i am surprised because i thought both of you were not gonna like it honestly it's a it's an extreme here's the thing it's an extremely polarizing film online as well i i I do think uh, you know like does it work as a movie you know Mm kind of like I, I i i love the movie but i love it more for the audacity than like yeah, oh this is like a sure. perfectly constructed totally. movie. it feels very rough it feels like whole plot lines were or subplots were like cut out of the movie like it does feel that way it's more like it's a thrill just, ride it's yeah, like exactly, it's like, exactly like i said it's like being shot out of a cannon it feels like you're yeah you're riding a runaway train you know it's a singular work. I feel like that's the thing. So I definitely respect it more than like I enjoyed all my time with it. But I definitely enjoyed being at the front row of that theater as like an entire family was just watching like the, the insanity of the first 30 minutes. Like I was I was pretty close to inviting my mom to this because like my parents were over and like, oh, good thing that didn't happen. That would have been a little rough. But yeah, I, I also, you know, the way sound is used in this movie is mm-hmm. exceptional and music and the percussive like driving rhythm of of Justin Hurwitz baby like it's whatever he's working yeah. with Damien Chazelle I love he's it awesome. yeah it's incredible okay uh Jeff I have a uh, I have a solution to the mystery right so singing in the rain the movie did come out in 1952 so that's like when you see <laughs> I just I love that Diego like this is back in the time where it's like oh things aren't working out for me here I guess I'm just gonna start another life somewhere like that's what it was, <laughs> yeah. was back then right can't do that today with all the internets and stuff um but uh damien chazelle spoke about this on an interview of variety the question was asked uh the impact of singing in the rain has on your life is no secret what was it like getting to feature it here in the way that you did and he says it is a very important movie to me um given the subject matter in this movie i couldn't not acknowledge singing in the rain um but there's a whole side of how it came to be uh, that's something a lot of people aren't aware of this the song was put on film, most notably in 1929 in the Hollywood Review, mm-hmm. with that weird ensemble number with people in rain slickers in front of a Noah's Ark backdrop. And that performance had been forgotten and replaced by Gene Kelly. Huh. So that's so historically accurate. Wow. Yeah. So it's huh. historically. So yeah, it did appear. Yeah. So there, it was a precursor to the movie, and that's what that was referenced to. But yeah, good. You know, mm-hmm. located. I, like, did, I, I saw yeah. a lot of people complaining about that, and uh, they were just schooled by Damien Chazelle. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. I, it's shocking to me that Damien Chazelle, a best act, a best director, or Academy Award winning director, yeah. might know more somebody about somebody who has dedicated his life to to movies than, than some random guy on the keyboard yeah. on the internet. It, that's shocking yeah. to me. Yeah. That's shocking. To well, me. no, I was seeing a reviewer. <laughs> like I was seeing like people in like in the industry. You know, like yeah, yeah. Okay, that's Same. interesting. I I don't re- I I uh, my my case stands. What I said stands. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, it's really impressive that Damien Chazelle made a movie. 
He may not get to make another one after this. <laughs> I hope he does. He may not want to. This may be it's everything. A, yeah, yeah. This thing I is mean, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. That's such a shame. Going there there, is, there is this sense to me that this might be him leaving it all in the field. Like mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I mean, I, I think he's going to make more movies, right? He has yeah. more scripts probably. Like, But it does feel to me he's like, if I'm going to go out... Yeah. Like, yeah, this is how I'm going out. You Make know, like, a movie with of... both middle fingers up, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's how it feels. Yeah. That's how it feels. Anyway, uh, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Babylon. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. Find us on TikTok at thefilmcast. Uh, the spoiler bumper for this episode comes courtesy of Kyle Corwith, the filmmaker and YouTuber. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight and Varsity Blue. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week, it's going to be our top 10 films of 2022. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at thefilmcast.com. That episode is going to come out a couple days later. Um, we'll try to put a cut down of that on uh, youtube.com slash at thefilmcastpod. But yeah, subscribe, and uh, it's going to be a fun time. A lot of surprises, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of stuff you should check out. going to be an eventful week for us. Thanks for tuning in. And until then, we'll see you later. Later.